Good morning, everybody. The reading today is Luke 2, verses 1 to 16. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. For those that don't know me, I'm Robert. Uh, David, our our pastor, is... And I'm in need of a sound technician. Thank you, Z. David, our pastor, is on holidays today and he's asked that uh, I speak to you instead. Let's pray before we start. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts truly be as you require today as we study your word. Amen. Now, we're not necessarily rerunning the Christmas service, but because today is the last day of the, final, of the, last day of the, the year, then I'd like today to look back at Christmas and look forward to the coming new year and to reflect on the Christmas story and see what we can take with us as we go into January and beyond. Now, in all of the sermons we hear at Christmas time over the years, you know a fair bit about Mary and the baby Jesus, the shepherds, and even the the Magi or the wise men get a really good mention. But Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, is really an extra on the scene. And I think this is a bit sad because he has a lot to teach us. And so this morning... I'd like to have a look at Joseph, the foster father of Jesus. 
First of all, what do we know about him? Well, he was of the royal line of David, someone with a really great family background. But in political terms, under the Roman occupation, his lineage, his heritage, had very little to do with everyday life and he earned his living as a carpenter, as a man that worked with wood. He was betrothed to Mary. In fact, he was actually married to her, but as was the custom in those days, you did not usually live together for the first 12 months. The wife would continue with living with her family and leave them and move in with her husband after about 12 months. Now, it's during this period that Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant and he knows that he's not the father. Now, this would be bad enough for a young man today, but in Joseph's day, it was a debacle. The sanctity of the marriage relationship was a critical community norm and any breach of it was an abhorrence. Under Jewish law, a married woman guilty of adultery was required to be stoned to death. And this could be instigated either by the aggrieved husband or by his family or her family for the shame that it brought upon all of them. Now, Joseph's described as, and I love, love this verse, Matthew 19, as a man that always did what was right. Wouldn't you love to have people say that about you? That he was a man that always did what was right. He knew under the circumstances he couldn't go ahead with the relationship and I, I expect that despite his confusion, his wounded pride, he also knew that he couldn't have Mary killed. And he does something quite remarkable. He decides to offer Mary a no-questions-asked divorce. Despite of all dishonour this has brought him and his family, he decides simply to walk away. Now, it would be difficult to come up with a modern-day example of something similar, an item of grace. I don't know how many of you are Jane Austen tragics, but maybe, um, maybe Darcy's attempt to save the family in Pride and Prejudice might come close. I apologise to all the men that have never heard or read the story. But having decided this path, God intervenes and he's told to continue the relationship with Mary and Mary then moves in with him and he's able to protect her from what I expect are the ongoing threats to her life. Somehow he uses his influence, which must have been considerable, to ensure that neither Mary's family nor his family take matters into their own hands. However, I think we can, be, we can assume that no one would have been happy 
with the arrangement. Then there's the census. And every man, women weren't counted by the Romans, was required to return to their family home. And Joseph and his heavily pregnant wife go to Bethlehem. Now, Mary's continuing need for Joseph's protection would be the only reason that someone eight and a half months pregnant would go on a tour to Bethlehem by donkey. They arrive in Bethlehem and there's no one, nowhere for them to stay. Now, does this surprise you? They're going to Joseph's hometown. There would have been literally hundreds of relatives there. And under the, the rules of Eastern hospitality, you would have to provide accommodation to family, let alone for a couple about to have a child. But no one does. And I, I expect the gossip nature of Mary's pregnancy must have gone before them. And Joseph's family would have nothing to do with them. Now, for a bad man, used to rejection and strife, this wouldn't have been great. But I expect for a person like Joseph, who always did the right thing, it would have been extremely tough to handle. The overt joy of the shepherds that came to the birth would have been a great comfort when all the significant others in his life provided nothing but rejection. Following the census, Joseph stays on in Bethlehem and I expect he tries to get on with his life and support his family. Now this must have been an ongoing challenge where family and relationships were critically important to survival, let alone business survival. And just as things are starting to settle down, they're visited by some magi, some wise men from the east who provide gifts to honour the child. And I expect this would have opened all of the old wounds about Jesus' conception and unsettled the family again. But, as the children's novel used to say, things were about to get worse. After the Magi leave, the angel appears to Joseph and tells him to immediately get out of Bethlehem and travel to Egypt. So it would have been straight onto the donkey and off to Egypt. No chance to prepare for the trip, close down the business, sell up, get some money, just enough time to flee with their lives. Now, I have some kindred spirit here with Joseph because probably one of the worst experiences of my life was a long-haul flight from Melbourne to Egypt with a toddler. My Mary was very pregnant and I walked around that plane for 24 hours trying to appease a toddler 
that really did not want to be on an aeroplane. The prospect of walking with a toddler from Judea to Egypt is almost too scary to think about. We're not told whether Joseph was bilingual, but he probably only spoke Aramaic, so he would have found life in Egypt extremely difficult. The culture and the language with no resources. It would have been pretty tough. Eventually, and probably again as things were starting to settle down, Joseph receives another visit from an angel. And he's told that the threat to the child has passed and he should return to Judea. He obediently returns and finds himself in the town of Nazareth. And I expect by this stage Jesus has a brother or sister or two. So it would have been again travelling on the donkey with a toddler or two, or maybe even three. Now, the next thing we know about Joseph is in Luke chapter 2, where he and Mary take the family down to Jerusalem for the festive season, the Passover. On the way back, they realise that Jesus is not with the travelling party. Communities travelled together and families looked after each other's kids. And, uh, but a day out of Jerusalem, they realise there's no Jesus. So they must return to Jerusalem, scour the city and find him happily teaching the rabbis in the temple. Now, for those of you that are parents, you don't know what to do when you've lost a child. You find them is the first priority to hug them because you are so happy that they're back or to kill them because they have put you through so much grief. However, we can only surmise how Joseph felt. I expect as he trudged back home for the second time, he would have been trying to put it all together. Joseph, the godly carpenter, would have struggled to understand the budding young rabbi. Now, the next thing we know about Joseph in the Gospels is his absence, and we surmise his early death. In chapter 3 of Mark, we, excuse me, we read that Jesus and his mothers come to collect the adult Jesus who they have heard stories about and believe has gone mad. We can deduce that the quiet reasoning and forbearance of Joseph is now absent. The man who has protected and guided the family has probably already died. Now, clearly Joseph was a great influence in the life of Jesus and truly a great dad. And maybe you're thinking, well, he had rather a special case in Jesus. But he also had great influence over one of his other sons. And the strength of his parenting is seen in the life of James the Just, who became a great leader in the early church. 
Again, to have a, a grandson or a son that was nicknamed or described as the just. That's not a bad effort as a, as a parent. So looking at our potted history of Joseph, what can we take from his example into the new year? First of all, I'm removing the get out of jail card for those of you that aren't parents or, have, or don't have close children because I believe that as adults, our children in our lives are our most important calling. Like Joseph, who spent his life protecting the young Jesus, today we have a similar responsibility not only to our own children and grandchildren, but to all of the children that we know and have some influence over. Now, I'd like to suggest that we can derive the following, and I think Phil's put it up on the screen. I can't read that, but hopefully you can. Um, what can we see from Joseph's life that might help us in the new year? Well, first of all, like Joseph, don't be fussed about the physical circumstances that you find yourself in. Believe that you are a child of the king and God has put you here for a reason. It might be something very special. And even if you don't think it is, God does. The only thing that's required of you is to get on with it. Secondly, like Joseph, always strive to do what is right. Now, needless to say, it's not easy, but it's what God wants of us. Three, try to be gracious and generous in doing what's right. Remember, God has been very generous to us and he wants us to be generous to others. As we've seen from Joseph, be prepared to put God's kingdom ahead of your own personal ego. And if it, if it means losing face and experiencing pain, it is what God wants of us. Like Joseph, be prepared to be open to God speaking to you and be prepared to accept good things rather than bad things about people. Be prepared to act decisively. If God commands, and don't be prepared, don't be afraid to take risks. Now, hopefully it won't include too many donkey escapes to, to Egypt or other, other places, but be prepared to listen to God and act decisively. Seven, don't confuse circumstances with guidance. As we've seen, Joseph didn't have an easy life. He was a God's person in difficult circumstances and neither have we been promised an uneventful life. Sometimes we may experience real challenges and even great sadness. But it's in always important to remember that God loves us. Next. Remember the supporting roles are often 
the ones of greatest influence. Joseph wasn't wealthy, he wasn't powerful in any worldly sense at all. However, in caring for the child Jesus and his family, he fulfilled one of the most important tasks in human history. Finally, the significant tasks are seldom completed quickly. Like Joseph, it's important to be there for the long haul. Lasting influence is not achieved in one day, but daily over many years. So from Joseph, what can we take into the new year? I trust that we can ponder these words and may God guide us as we reflect on his word and take it into the coming year.